Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Good Monday afternoon. Richard Cross and Michael Borky. We return to a little bit of normalcy this week after being away Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at SEC Media Days last week. But it's only partial normalcy as uh, Brian Haydad is on vacation this week. Brian Scott Rippey is on vacation this week. So you've got Borky and me. And on Thursday of this week... Well, it's something that we look forward to every single year, and that's the uh, annual Palmer Home for Children Super Talk Mississippi Radiothon. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute with uh, a couple of folks who um, are pretty heavily involved with Palmer Home through their business. But first, we'll tell you Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com. If you're in North Mississippi and you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years at Mississippi Land Bank. They know the lay of the land. It's a little bit different start to the show today. We rarely begin a, a show with guests, but a couple of folks that I think you're going to enjoy hearing from this afternoon. Lynn Card and Michael Scarborough from Tower Loan join us right now. And we're talking with them because of their relationship from a company standpoint with Palmer Home for Children. Lynn, Michael, good Monday afternoon. Thanks for stopping by today. We appreciate you having us. Thank you so much. Yeah, let, let's just start out. I think most people that listen to Super Talk and, and Sports Talk Mississippi are aware uh, of what Palmer Home does. Uh, I guess for the last six years, this will be the seventh year that we've had the Radiothon. So let's kind of start out by talking a little bit about the relationship between uh, between Tower Loan and uh, and Palmer Home. Michael, why don't you kind of tell us a little bit about the relationship that exists between your company and, and Palmer Home? Yeah, sure. So just to give a little background on the Palmer Home, um, you know, they provide care to children, uh, kind of look at a holistic approach, you know, physical, educational, emotional, and spiritual. And um, so our, you know, leadership council a few years ago, uh, we, we raised money for a nonprofit organization each year, and they uh, researched some and found the Palmer Home. And, uh, you know, it kind of hits home for everybody because we're all children at once. So, you know, it's something we can all relate to. And Lynn, since you guys have have started a program that that if I'm understanding correctly works both internally with your employees but also with your customers as well, there's a lot of money that's been raised for the children at Palmer Home. Uh, yes, sir. Actually, over the last two years, uh, we have raised over a hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars for Palmer Home. Um, we have almost a thousand employees that are in five different states and. Um, we have over 275,000 customers in those five states. So uh, we have a lot of vendors that help out. Um, 
you know, our employees. I mean, we just really get, you know, the whole staff and everyone that we're connected to involved with that. And we do different kinds of competitions and we make it really fun, you know. Um, You know, it's it's fascinating to me that when you create an opportunity for employees, for, for whatever company or organization you're with, when, when you create an opportunity for them to be a part of something and to give, we, we've seen it at Supertalk Mississippi with the, the people that work here not just being involved with the Radiothon, but giving themselves. Have you found that also with the company when you kind of create an opportunity for something that's good, you see people kind of rise up that maybe you didn't expect would in the first place? Yeah, I think, you know, something we do is uh, each week we've got, you know, team leaders. And so we'll, uh, you know, we'll send out the standings each Monday morning and kind of creates that competitive atmosphere. And uh, and those team leaders, you know, they'll send emails, calls uh, within their group on, you know, what we can do better at. Um, and just, like I said, that, that competitiveness. And um, so that that's a huge part is, you know, the, the team leaders, they – Everybody wants to kind of do their part and rise up to uh, to raise money for the Palmer Home. And and Michael Lynn just mentioned a second ago in the last two years alone, uh, a little over one hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars raised by Tower Loan. Is this uh, a relationship? I know you said that you guys look for opportunities to weigh, uh, for ways to help. Is this a re- relationship that is is and will be ongoing with Palmer Home? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, we, in the past, we've done uh, the JDRF, the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. Uh, we've done Wounded Warriors, and uh, I think this will be the third year, though, that we do um, the Palmer Home. So, yeah, I think it's safe to say that you know we we definitely enjoy it each year, and uh, and you know they they tell us how grateful they are each year. So it's it's definitely a great relationship. Lynn, I was looking at your website a moment ago and just kind of looking at the the footprint for Tower Loan, uh, the the home office being in Flowood, but really having um, locations across Mississippi and Louisiana and uh, up into Illinois and in Alabama as well. We're talking about the same footprint that feeds children to Palmer Home, especially here in Mississippi. Um, they get calls from all over the place, from all over the country, but it's a place in Mississippi where kids that uh, have been dealt a, a really difficult hand uh, because of no doing of their own can go and kind of find what Michael was talking about a second ago, that holistic approach mm-hmm. to, to child care. It's a pretty special place. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, you know, I've talked with several people at the at the Palmer Home, and one of the things I think is just so cool about it is that you know they really try to keep you know the family together but they do have these children and these fam you know in a family network um you know they have the school there and um you know it's just amazing what they what they do and how they help people uh you know help these children you know and the and the organization you know like we've said is you know it's a non-profit organization and they rely on private donations um but it's an established non-profit organization since the late 1800s that has been helping children and i think that's really cool to say you know just a, a non-profit organization that's been that stable for that length of time yeah, talking about over a hundred years and no government support. So it's a an organization that relies specifically on donations from individuals, but then also from from corporate entities like Tower Loan, and, 
and I know it certainly is important to uh, to all the folks at uh, at Palmer Home. We've got our seventh annual Palmer Home for Children Radiothon coming up this Thursday. It's July 25th. Every year, children across Mississippi who need a loving home find that at Palmer Home, and a lot of times these children are in incredibly difficult circumstances. That's why we need your help, and that's why we're talking to Lynn and Michael from uh, from Tower Loan. Hey, one of the things that, that we like to do each year when we're talking either with the children or the caretakers or the administrative staff is kind of uh, encourage them to, to give a pitch as to why you think it's important to donate. So I guess I would ask you kind of the same question as we wrap things up this afternoon. What would you say to people to encourage them to donate to Palmer Home for the, the work that they're doing? Yeah, well, you know, no no matter how small or how large the donation is, I mean, every single bit of it is going to kind of increase their footprint of, you know, how many children that they can help. Um, I want to say they told us, I think, 204 children uh, were helped last year in 2018. So, you know, every single donation, that's going to allow them to increase, um, you know, their footprint and their organization as a whole. So, you know, we encourage everyone to, you know, like I said, it can be a dollar, five dollars, hundred dollars, you know, whatever you're able to yeah, we certainly don't discriminate in terms of uh, amount of donation, whether it's uh, it's just a $5 donation or you've got the ability and uh, the interest in uh, donating much more than that. We certainly encourage you to do that. Um, on behalf of all of us at, at Supertalk and uh, on behalf of the folks at Palmer Home, Lynn, Michael, thank you both for, one, coming by and kind of sharing your story today, and thank you for your commitment to, uh, uh, to working with the folks at Palmer Home to raise money for this incredible organization. Yeah, we thank you guys as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, good visiting with you this afternoon. That is uh, Michael Scarborough, who is uh, marketing director, and Lynn, oh goodness, I had her last name and I just lost Hard. it because I closed that email. Up. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. It's a Monday, right? Uh, Lynn Card and Michael Scarborough from uh, Tower Loan. $150,000 in just the last two years raised for Palmer Home through uh, Tower Loan's employees. Uh, their administrative staff and uh, their customers, over 275,000 of them across five states as well. Just getting started with you on this Monday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi. Thanks to uh, Tower Loan for their support of Palmer Home. You want to be a part of the conversation this afternoon, you can do so on the C Spire text line. The number is 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. We left Media Days in the rearview mirror last week, but there is a lot to get to this afternoon, and certainly the college football conversation does not end. Ryan Brown from Jocks in Birmingham will join us in the 5 o'clock hour today. Uh, the arms race in the locker room sector continues as LSU rolls out some pretty gaudy new lockers. Does this ever stop? Does the arms race ever stop? Jim Harbaugh continues to be in the uh, news from over the weekend. We've got winners and losers, 100 teams in 100 days. Pretty fascinating final day at the Open Championship. And a whole lot more to get to with you on this Monday afternoon in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. It is a Monday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross and Michael Borky, just the two of us this week with uh, the Bryans elsewhere off on vacation. Rippy did tell us, Borky, that uh, if we wanted to, uh, uh, wanted to call and check in with him at some point, that he was just going to be... I mean, he's put... I guess we can say he's in California. 
Yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, guess I just did. Yeah, well, and he talked about it on his his podcast that he's still doing all hmm. week long, so he's not fully. Uh, That's right. He's not fully quitting work on his week off. So kind of tells you what kind of person I he got is. you. Um, yeah, not completely checking out, but I think he also thought he was going to be bored because uh, <laughs> he's visiting a buddy on the West Coast, and he thought he was going to kind of sit around with nothing to do. And uh, I think he thought that he uh, might come across some interesting podcast fodder uh, while spending a week on the uh, the West Coast. So he went to a Dodgers game yesterday. I'm a little jealous of that. It'd be That's fun. pretty cool. Yeah. I have never been to a game at Chavez Ravine. I would uh, would love to check one out at Dodger Stadium uh, somewhere along the way. How was your weekend? Weekend was good, and well, I think I hurt myself, and I, oh, yeah? I can't decide. So, if there's like a doctor listening, help me out, because I can't decide if this is I'm just getting old and I can't do like the athletic things that I used to be able to do when I was 19, kind of thing, or if I yeah. actually really hurt myself. So, my knee, um, I, I run every day, uh, three miles plus every single day, and yesterday. No, Friday, excuse me. I, I ran, and then when I came home, I can't straighten out my leg anymore. And the pain is all on the right side of my knee, but like inside, so not on the outside. Like I didn't get, like I didn't bump it into something. It's internal, but it's on the right side of my knee, and it feels completely unstable. Like when I walk, it feels like it's just going to fall over. Like like you're pulling the last. Pretty peg sure you've out got a torn. Yeah, you've got a torn ACL. But it doesn't. It doesn't really hurt. Though. Like I, I can. I'm kidding. I don't know that. <laughs> but in the ACL in the middle. So this is on the right. I side. I don't know, Borky. I'm not a doctor. It's on the right side of my right leg, so the outside ligament, and it feels unstable. Like I'm pulling out the last peg of a Jenga tower before it collapses. That's what it feels like, and I can't straighten it. I can walk. I even did some yard work yesterday, but. There is something wrong. We should, there. we should play golf for money later this week. You want to? I mean, Nick Saban can play golf before he has surgery, so if he can do it, I can do it. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe so. Uh, well, I hope your knee feels better. Yeah, I'm gonna tr- I'm gonna test it tonight and try to run on it and see. And if I can't, then I mean, I can't go to the doctor unless I really know that something's really wrong because insurance is a scam. But it, <laughs> I just need to know if this is just. Look, you're getting old. You can't run like that anymore. Uh, just take a couple of days off or uh, suck it up and go to the doctor. Yeah, I don't know. Wish I could. Uh, maybe you'll just have to run, and if you end up collapsed on the side of the road somewhere, you'll know that it's a sign that you probably need to go to the doctor. Be a fun story, at least, though. Yeah, I guess so. I, I did have a little bit of a feeling older moment yesterday. Uh, we were on the lake yesterday afternoon, and I have not... Uh, I, uh, so I've kind of gotten into wakeboarding the last few years. Not like I'm a great wakeboarder, not like do tricks and flips and stuff like that, but I'm fair on it. I mean, you know, can hold my own. Uh, and the boots on the wakeboard are like completely busted. So I need a new wakeboard or boots or whatever. Uh, so tried to ski instead. And my wife, Jane, who grew up on the lake, is a really good slalom skier. Like she's one of those people that you look at and, she doesn't get too fancy with it, but it's just incredibly graceful looking. I don't know that I've ever really looked graceful on it, but I was, I used to be fine on one ski. Yeah, I'd jump in there with one ski and go and no problem. And it's like I've completely lost what that is supposed to feel like. I can't get up on one ski anymore. 
So I finally got up on two, or went to two skis, popped up, no problem, dropped a ski, and I'm going along, and all of a sudden it's like, I hurt. Like my back doesn't, my back and shoulders and then hands, you're holding onto that ski rope, and it's like I'm not as young as I used to be. We were talking last night, um, uh, a couple of girls that work with Jane went with us to the lake yesterday, and uh, we were talking last night. She was like, Richard, you know they look at us and think we're old. I was like, we're not old. She's like, no, I didn't say we were old, but compared to them, people that are, you know, we've reached that point in our lives where people that are 19 or 20 or 21 are literally half our age. Um, That's a little disconcerting. <laughs> just, just being honest, it's like, hold on, I don't feel like I'm 38, about to be 39, but uh, maybe uh, I guess that's uh, that's the reality of it uh, of it all. Well, 38's the new 30 anyway, right? Yeah, yeah, sure it is. Something like sure that. Sure it is. Hey, so Peter Burns threw this out on Twitter, and this is uh, kind of an interesting jumping-off point for a little conversation about football, but not specifically college football. So a combination of college football and the NFL. His question was, what are the major storylines this year in college football versus what are the major storylines this year in the NFL, and which entity, college football or the NFL, has got more fascinating storylines going into the new season. Obviously, we spend the majority of our time talking about college football. We talk about the NFL, but not in the same way we talk about college football, and certainly not in the same way we talk about the SEC. Same thing for Peter Burns, who's an SEC network guy and hosts a show on the the SEC radio network channel on Sirius XM. So they talk college football all the time. And you would expect them to kind of pump the uh, the college football narrative, if you will. So what are the biggest storylines for college football? What are the biggest storylines for the NFL going into this season? And is one or the other league, we'll just call it league for ease of conversation, more interesting or more compelling? Uh, wh- let's start with college football. What What jumps out at you this year as being the biggest storylines in college football. You can make it SEC-centric if you want to, or you can look at it from a more national perspective. I think the first one's an obvious choice, right? Can anybody win the national championship that isn't Alabama or Clemson? I didn't realize it went this way until this morning when I was looking this up. The last four years, the national champion was Alabama-Clemson, Alabama-Clemson. Right. So can somebody else besides these two actually pull that off? Well, we've talked about the teams that, that are at least in the conversation, right? Right. Um, Georgia is very much in the conversation. They've been close. They're in the playoff play for national championship two years ago. Um, last year, they don't, but they're close. I mean, if they win the SEC championship game, they're in the playoff again. And then, you know, maybe kind of all bets are off. It feels like Clemson was pretty clearly, when it was all said and done last year, the best team in the, in college football. Um, so Georgia is in the mix. If you're talking LSU teams, or excuse me, SEC teams, we've kind of talked around LSU a little bit. We don't know how good Joe Burrow is going to be. We don't know how different that offense is going to be. 
But when you look at LSU's schedule, if they can get by Texas in Week 2, then it looks like they've got a chance to make a run toward early November in that meeting with Alabama again. They're talented you know, can they enough to do Can get over that it. hump? We don't know. To do what? To, to beat Alabama and compete for and win a national championship. They are talented enough to do it. Absolutely, they are. Even in Tuscaloosa? Even in Tuscaloosa. It, see, the thing with Alabama, and yes, Nick Saban's one of the greatest coaches of all time, but I mean, how many games do they play where they don't have the most talented roster on the field? Almost never. And even never. still, with, with, with the way Clemson beat them a year ago, it's not like Clemson is out here recruiting unbelievably... I mean, their classes are around the top 10. I think one year... In the last four, they had number the number twenty two class, but there's only like fourteen guys in the entire thing. So it's not like they're they're beating the brakes off of everybody in recruiting. They just evaluate extremely well. But it's even in that game, it's not like Clemson was just so much more talented than Alabama, and that's why they beat them so bad. So Alabama never plays a game in which, almost never plays a game in which they are equally as talented as their opponent. LSU was one of those rare cases where they can line up and play with the guy across the field from them. There aren't many teams that can do that. Sure. So who are the other teams? I mean, outside of Alabama, Clemson, if we say Georgia's in the mix, if we say maybe LSU's in the mix, there are people that are looking at Oklahoma, people that are saying potentially Texas, does it feel necessarily like there's a West Coast candidate unless maybe a Washington makes a run through the entire schedule? I mean, an undefeated Pac-12 team would be in the playoff. Um, you know, could somebody out of the Big Ten this year do it? Could It feels like it would be surprising if Ohio State got there this year. But that's a roster that's built with the talent that you're talking about with places like Alabama and Clemson and Georgia and others. We'll, we'll stick with this storyline. We'll look at some of the big ones outside of just the teams and some of the other storylines in college football, also the NFL. And Borky asks for help, and he gets it via the C Spire text line. Advice for Borky when we come back in the Renaissance Bank studio. All right, so Borky, when you ask for medical advice on Super Talk Mississippi and you say, hey, surely there's a doctor listening, help me out. You get a mix of opinions, some of them perhaps doctor-related, some not so much. So if you missed it a second ago, Borky described a pain on the outside of his right kneecap in the general ligament area. He says it's loose, and he said it feels like the last piece in a Jenga puzzle where if you pull that piece out... The whole tower is going to come falling down. Is that a fair summation? That's about right, yeah. Okay. Scott and Clinton. Torn meniscus, trust me, had both needs repaired. Okay? Uh, 100 bucks says it's a torn meniscus. Uh, next one. He has a tear in his meniscus. Derek in Greenwood says, getting old, pick one of these up. I take it everywhere. Never know where you may need it. It is a uh, a knee brace. Uh, Michael in Poplarville sends us a, uh, <laughs> us a little <laughs> gift from, from Family Guy. <laughs> what character is that from Family Guy? That's Peter Griffin. 
in in that clip, okay. he, he like trips and falls and just barely scrapes his knee, and he goes ah for like five minutes. Okay. Uh, physical therapist here. It's not uncommon to tear cartilage when you tear your ACL. If a flap of cartilage gets hung in the joint, then knee extension is really painful. Philip in Starkville. Borky has a tear. Don't mess around with it. Go to the doctor. I did when I was younger, waited, tore another in the same knee, and ended up with bigger issues. Wes and Bates will suggest rice treatment for acute musculoskeletal injury. Did you click on it and see what the uh, rice treatment was? Yeah, it's, um, oh gosh. Rest, Rest ice, ice, compression, yeah. and elevation. Okay. Rest it for 48 hours. Ice for 20 minutes at a time, four to eight times a day. Compress it to help uh, reduce swelling and then elevate the injured limb above the heart. This is not what you were hoping for. No, no, not uh, getting good feedback. Well, it's good feedback, but not good for me. Sean, the other thing is it uh, could be an injury to your IT band. Since you're a runner, it's a muscle that runs down the outside of your leg and the side of the knee. Common in runners, if the pain continues, get it checked because there's no way to know if it's more serious, like the LCL injury that he mentioned above without getting an MRI. He says, give it a couple of days rest. If it's not better, then you should have it checked out with either a CT or an MRI. Uh, so, yeah, not a lot of encouraging news there for you, Borky. <laughs> I started it by saying I want to avoid the doctor because... Uh, my insurance doesn't cover much, and it ends up being something that is worse than I was hoping. I was just yeah, hoping I mean, for one person to... to say, you're getting old, man, and that's just what happens when you get a little bit older. You get pains that you can't explain. It sounds to me like there is a better than 50-50 shot that you're going to have to amputate your leg at the knee. You know, I don't need it anymore anyway. I can relate to my kid bad. when he comes out. I won't be able to walk right. Either will he. So we can we can bond over that. There you go. All right, big storylines for college football. We talked about the teams that have a chance to win it all. What about quarterback controversies? Did you see what Jim Harbaugh said coming out of uh, Michigan? Um, I guess at uh, Big Ten Media Days that it sounds like they're going to play two quarterbacks this year at Michigan. Of course, Shea Patterson is one of those, but maybe not going to be exclusive, that uh, Dylan McCaffrey could be in the mix as well. And he was a highly rated kid coming out of high school himself. I was actually I was surprised he went to Michigan considering at the time how crowded that quarterback room was. But he even said, Harbaugh, that he was open to the idea of playing them both at the same time, in the same game, on the field at the same time even, but uh, not even naming a starter. That he would just alternate guys and whoever's got the hot hand that day is who they're going to go with, but... Do you believe him, or is that a motivational tactic? Um, I mean, yes, I'm sure that there's some modal, motivational tactic that's mixed in there. But if Jim Harbaugh is going to come out and say this publicly, then it kind of feels like he's got to follow through with it because of the recruiting effect that goes along with it? I mean, if if you've got a good quarterback room or a good quarterback and you go recruit a really good quarterback and he comes and believes he's got a shot to play and then he earns a shot to play, 
and you say publicly we're going to play two guys, don't you kind of have to play two guys? Yeah, you can't come out and do this and then just never play McCaffrey. Um. So yeah, that's a fascinating look. And there was a uh, a story that came out over the weekend from uh, was it Pro Football Focus? I think. Uh, I think it was uh, Eric Edholm that uh, that wrote the story. Maybe it was NFL.com. But it said scouts don't know what to do with Shea Patterson. That the on-field play has not followed the hype that existed with Shea Patterson coming out of high school that made him one of the top one or two or three, I guess top two or three quarterbacks in that class from a few years ago. And that there certainly have been flashes of brilliance, but there hasn't been consistent play. And if you're looking for Shea Patterson's name on a draft board in the immediate future, you're going to be disappointed. Not to say that he couldn't play his way onto a draft board, and maybe in a really significant way, but as of right now, NFL scouts say that the body of work is just not there. And there's questions internally as well, work ethic and things like that. Yeah. Um, Supremely talented kid, if you, though, if he figures it out. Yeah, and if you dive into the quotes from from Jim Harbaugh, he does talk about consistency. And he tried to kind of backpedal it a little bit, but ultimately he ended up with you know being more consistent in practice, being more consistent all the time. And I don't think Jim Harbaugh, yeah, you can like Jim Harbaugh or not. He doesn't just accidentally say stuff. When, when he says something like that publicly, it's, it's calculated. So maybe to your point for a second ago, maybe he's using it as a motivational tool. Or maybe he's preparing people for what's coming. In, in the same way that he didn't just randomly say that, eh, you know, Urban Meyer's a really good coach. He's just a guy that controversy follows him everywhere he goes. That, that was not just a Freudian slip. That was something that Jim Har- Harbaugh had thought about and decided that he was going to use that platform to talk about. Now, whether or not it makes sense or not is an altogether uh, different thing. I would say one more level of the story out of Michigan is is there another subpar season in terms of the standard of what Michigan expects that could make the future very uncomfortable for Jim Harbaugh? I mean, watch Ryan Day, a rookie head coach, take Justin Fields to Ann Arbor this year and win by 28 and see what happens. Yeah, that that could get uncomfortable in a hurry. What about transfer quarterbacks? So you've got Justin Fields immediately eligible at Ohio State. You have Jalen Hurts immediately eligible, obviously as a grad transfer, at Oklahoma. You've got Jacob Eason, who sat out last year after transferring to Washington, where he's going to be the starter. And you got people moving around all over the place. Kelly Bryant at Michigan and others. I mean, the SEC uh, is likely going to have five transfer quarterbacks starting this year, barring what happens at Mississippi ben, State. So, so, so Ben Hicks from SMU to Arkansas likely, Tommy Stevens likely at Mississippi State, Kelly Bryant going to be the starter at Missouri. Who are the other two? So you've got Arkansas, Missouri, Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, 
and Joe Burrow, LSU, five. Okay, yeah, so Joe Burrow going into his second year as a starter, but he is a product of transferring and uh, becoming eligible somewhere else. So, yeah, a little bit different than historically where you go draft, not draft, you go sign a quarterback and he's there for a year or two and waits his turn and gets into the system. Um, And that's a big story, right? Because if it works, it'll incentivize more movement. Or at least you would think so. Yeah, at least it, whether it incentivizes more movement or just creates a non-stumbling block. I don't know that I said that well. I don't know that it necessarily means, oh, you should go do this. But you can if you're looking at transferring or if you're on the receiving end of a transfer point to scenarios where it's worked and it's worked well. Oklahoma, probably the shining star of an example, right? I mean, Baker Mayfield transfers in, wins a Heisman Trophy, number one pick. Kyler Murray transfers in, wins a Heisman Trophy, number one pick. We'll see what happens with Joe Burrow. We'll see what happens with Kelly Bryant. See what happens with Tommy Stevens at Mississippi State. Certainly one of the things that has changed in the college football world in the last few years. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. You want ultra-fast LTE for free? Switch to a $25 unlimited plan on prepaid by C Spire for two free gigabytes of high-speed data each month and a free Samsung Galaxy J3. Learn more at cspire.com slash prepaid. You can text the show, maybe from your Samsung Galaxy J3, on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Today is July 22nd, 13 years ago today. Well, 13 years ago and a day ago. I don't think I said that right. So July 21st, 2006, was miserably hot. Like thick humidity, upper 90s, just absolute typical July Friday. And then on Saturday, a little bit of a uh, cool front blew through. Ended up in the uh, low mid-80s. Humidity was down a little bit. Pretty good day for a wedding. Although... Um, there was one thing that didn't go well. The air conditioning in the church building worked right until the ceremony started. Ooh. And then it kicked off. And Borky, I vividly remember a bead of sweat that started at the <laughs> back of my neck. It rolled under the rear collar of my, collar of my tuxedo shirt and I could feel it tracing its way down my back. <laughs> oh, man. And it was like, I, I vividly remember that. Got married 13 years ago today. Happy anniversary to Jane. Best thing, bar none, that has ever happened to me. Mother of three great, happy, healthy, beautiful kids. And a uh, really good life. Really good wife and a really good life. Um we celebrated on Friday night. Went to uh, went to Memphis after the show Friday night, and uh, went to the Orpheum, had dinner, and uh, got to hang out with the kids this weekend as well. Pretty uh, pretty nice weekend separating. Thirteen years, man. That sounds like a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, but it doesn't feel like a lot, does it? 
Uh, most days, no. I mean, it's it's that weird combination of that seems like a really long time ago, and it seems like the blink of an eye ago also. I think my, my favorite part of our wedding day weekend story, and I've told this before, so we went to Grand Cayman for our honeymoon, and it was just spectacular. But I was convinced, I'm talking about convinced, that I did not need a passport to go to Grand Cayman. I read it somewhere along the way. I thought I read it somewhere along the way. I had a passport, but I didn't need it. So after our wedding on Saturday night, we went, we spent the night in Memphis. We stayed at the, the Hilton, the big, tall, round Hilton out on uh, on 240. Got up early to go to the airport the next morning. I think we had like a 6.30 or 7 o'clock flight, which I would probably advise against after your, after your wedding. Uh, you know, don't don't push it so hard because you're exhausted. Uh, so we got to the airport. We got to the uh, ticket counter, and she said, uh, passports, please. I, got, I said, oh, yeah, we, we're just going to Grand Cayman. We don't need passports. <laughs> she looked at me. She goes, uh, yeah, you do. Jane has her passport in hand. My passport is sitting in Oxford. <laughs> oh, my God. We had been married for, at that point, 12 and a half hours, and I have made my new wife cry. <laughs> did you end up getting there, though? She's like, yeah, eventually we did. So uh, her parents brought my passport to Memphis. Uh, I called. Uh, the airline helped us out. I think she felt sorry for me being an idiot. So we just rebooked our flight for the next morning. I called the hotel where we were staying, explained to them the issue, and they were like, uh, yeah, no problem. We'll just push it all back a day. And uh, we spent an extra day in Memphis, went and had brunch, took a big long nap that afternoon, you know, didn't have to rush and run around like crazy. So it was uh, it was all it was all good. And uh, got an extra day. And hey, here's the really good part. So apparently there's another cross that was checking in uh, to the hotel. So when we got there, they, um, they're like, uh, we think you already checked in. I was like, uh, no, we just got here. So now I'm thinking something messed up as, as a result. They ended up giving us the other crosses reservation, which included like the, uh, the club lounge and a better room and a better view of the ocean. <laughs> It was the best thing that ever happened on uh, Wait, on so that they never trip. figured it out? Oh, I don't know if they figured it out or not, but they gave us what they had told us we were going to get, even though it's not what we had originally paid for, which was pretty fantastic when it was all said and done. It's like somebody was watching out for us, Borky. Something like that. Something like that. Worked out, uh, worked... Uh, out nicely. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, Renaissance Bank Studio. Thanks for indulging me. Happy anniversary to uh, Jane. 13 good years. Hopefully there are a whole bunch more as well. We're back after this. Four o'clock hour is next in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky. Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey are off this week, so just the two of us hanging with you. Glad to have you along. Don't forget that on Thursday, it's the 7th Annual Palmer Home for Children Radiothon. We will be with you all day on Supertalk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. 
FM, just like always, and look forward to that. In the um, previous six years, you have done a lot of good, a lot of good to the uh, for the uh, children at uh, at Palmer Home, and we're looking forward to that once again this year. That is coming your way starting at 6 a.m. on Thursday. Gallo and then JT and then Rebecca and then uh, Borky and I will carry you to the finish line at the end of the day, and certainly it's a day that we look forward to every single year. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They have been financing land and all that goes along with it for over 100 years. So if you're a farmer with needs, whether it's equipment or buying a piece of property or refinancing a loan or getting a production loan or you want to build a house in the country or you're just looking for a piece of recreational property, Mississippi Land Bank is the place to go in North Mississippi, Mississippi Land Bank. Um, Borky, do do we want to continue with the? Uh, I guess we need to get to some winners and losers, don't we? Uh, we can push it back some. No, let's do it. All I right. love winners and losers on Mondays, so let's do that right now. Winners and losers. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Winner never win. Winner never win. Shane Lowry's got 1,935,000 reasons to be happy today. Actually, 1,935,001 reasons. The first 1,935,000 reasons are dollars, and the, uh, the last one is that trophy. The Claret Jug for the native of Ireland who goes out and plays really good golf at the Open Championship to finish with a six-shot win on the field. Shane Lowry shoots 15 under, and he did so for the week. 67-67, went low on Saturday and shot a 63 and then shot 72, which was a one over 72 on, um, it was one over par 72 in the final round, but on a day where everybody put up big numbers. So, so listen to this. This is the top 10. And, and again, par 71. Lowry, the winner, shoots 72. Tommy Fleetwood, who finished in second by two shots, shoots a three over 74. Tony Finau finishes in solo third, winning seven hundred uh, wins $718,000. He shot an even par 71. Lee Westwood was two over at 73. Brooks Kepka shot a three over 74. you got to go all the way down to tie for six for Robert McIntyre, who put up a great 68. He was three under par in his final round. Tyrell Hatton shot 69. And then you scroll all the way down into a tie for 67th, and you find J.B. Holmes. Porky, he had shot three rounds in the 60s. He was five under after the first round, eight under after the second round, ten under going into the final round of the Open Championship, 
and he shoots a 16 over 87 while being the slowest player on the course as well. That video of Brooks Kepka walking off in disgust when he's doing that where he holds the putter up in the air to line up a three-foot putt where he does it five times before he hits the putt it was the perfect personification of what everybody that has to watch him like if you've it's different on TV because we don't see how ridiculous his routine yeah. is we don't see how long it is well now you're stealing my loser well he was going to be my loser as well but no uh, uh, we can share that one we can share I, I mean my one of my winners was Brooks Kepka because maybe he's the guy that has the don't give a you know what attitude to finally call this out because J.B. Holmes repeatedly breaks the rules, the unenforced rules of slow play. I mean, almost every round, he plays slower than everybody on the course. And finally, Brooks Kepka is the guy that just doesn't really care and is willing to call it out. He even walked by a rules official, uh, like tapping his wrist as if there was a watch on it, like trying to get him to, to call his playing partner in the round uh, to call a penalty on him so he would speed up. Because if you're going to play slow, you better play excellent. And if you're slogging along <laughs> and shoot 87, it's just it's shameful. And so good for Brooks for finally speaking out and saying this is ridiculous because six-hour rounds shouldn't happen. Yeah, so, uh, so J.B. Holmes a loser on two fronts. One, a loser for being a slow player. And two, I mean, he legitimately could have finished second in this tournament if he just shoots even par. If he shoots even par yesterday, he's 10 under. And finishes second, and he makes one million one hundred twenty thousand dollars. Instead, his check for the week twenty five thousand eighty eight dollars. In his Ooh. final round, he goes <laughs> double bogey, par par, bogey par, bogey birdie, bogey bogey. Five over on the front. On the back, he goes par, triple, double, par, bogey, par, bogey, double, double, and shoots forty six. I could Those probably are do that. Like, well, not on that course. Not probably in not. And it was raining like crazy. Come on, man. But... Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, my winner is uh, Shane Lowry. I mean, what a celebration for a uh, a guy who is from Ireland uh, to win the Open Championship. Uh, Royal Portrush is also a winner. I don't know that I've ever heard a golf course universally be praised the way that golf course was was praised by everybody, by the golfers, by the announcers, by the fans that were there. Everybody loved that venue. My guess is that um, it will uh, it will host another Open Championship. Yeah, and the scenes, Give me a winner, Borky. Uh, here's a winner for you on, on two different fronts. Us. Everybody listening and you and myself won because when I pull up my weather app, at least here in central Mississippi, the number 90 doesn't show up one time in the next 10 days. How about that? We're going to have 80s for the next 10 days. It's incredible. And also, we've got training camp starting this week. Rookies reported today. The veterans will report, depending on the team you like, about Thursday or so. And we have the Hall of Fame game in 10 days. I know it's a scrimmage. It's a glorified scrimmage, but organized football between real football teams will be played in 10 days. There you go. I like it. Uh, Lucas and Union, 
winners. Oh wait, we'll we'll get to our listener winners and losers coming up in uh, in just a few minutes, and some of these are uh, are kind of uh, entertaining as uh, as well. You uh, you want to be part of the conversation? You want to get your winners and losers in from the weekend? You can do so on the ceasefire text line six zero one. 879-4395, 601-879-4395. Send us your winners and your losers from the weekend, and we will uh, jump in on some of those coming up a little bit later. Uh, Borky, I don't know if this is a winner or loser, and I don't actually know if this is a new video. You may have seen it before. Uh, I got Jane with it yesterday. I got somebody else with it last night. Um, Rex Chapman... I think tweeted this from his Twitter account. If you don't follow Rex Chapman, the former uh, Kentucky basketball player on Twitter, you probably should. He does the uh, block or charge videos where it's basically people running into stuff all the time, and it's funny. And yesterday he tweeted, uh, if you're having a bad day, you really should watch this. It's a great pick-me-up. And it's um, it's one of those Make-A-Wish videos, but it's not actually from Make-A-Wish. It's from you know Grant-A-Wish or something like that. And it's uh, little kid football, and the handoff goes to the little kid, and the quarterback kind of redirects him, and all of a sudden nobody's really blocking, and a hole opens up, and they're on the the minus side of the fifty yard line. So he goes trucking off, and he's looking around. He gets to the fifty, and he gets to the forty, and tears are starting to fall down your face because you feel for this kid. He's about to get this moment in the sun, and then all of a sudden, boom. <laughs> He gets leveled by this one kid from out of nowhere who like gets on top of him and taunts him. I saw it and I started crying. I was laughing so hard. Then I pulled it together and I showed Jane. I was like, "Hey, don't you love these videos? Check this out." She she watches it. She's going along, going along, going along. Then she goes, "Oh my gosh." And it's that same reaction. If you've not seen that video, and I guess I've kind of spoiled it for you now, check it out. You will laugh about it. Whoever put that together, that's a winner in my book. That was good and funny. Your winners and losers when we come back in the Renaissance Bank studio. Love to hear from you on the C Spire text line at C Spire Repair Center. They love making happier experiences for you. That's why they've got one-hour phone repair, fixing any phone from any carrier with certified parts and technicians. Visit cspire.com slash repair to find a repair center near you. Cspire, customer inspired. You can text the show 601-879-4395, the Cspire text line. We want your winners and losers from the weekend. Uh, let's see. This was one set. Winner, everyone that loves rain when hanging at home. Loser, everyone that hates the rain from keeping them outside. This was one of those weekends where it kind of depended on where you were. Like on uh, Saturday in Oxford, sat late, late Saturday afternoon into Saturday night, it looked like it was just going to storm. Not a drop. But 15 minutes outside of Oxford, like raining so hard you couldn't see it. In Batesville, I saw somebody uh, – put a, a video on Facebook where you had, like, flooding on Highway 6, like, just as you were coming into Batesville, like, literally looked like flash flooding. So, yeah, you uh, you kind of got that all over the place this weekend. Uh, Lucas and Union winners, Shane Lowry winning the Open in his home country. Elijah McNamee driving in the winning run for the Evansville Otters. That's a cool story. 
Brooks Kepka for calling out slow play in the open. Losers, J.B. Holmes, for not only getting called out for slow play, but shooting an 87 on Sunday and losing about a million dollars in prize money. And he also says Roger Goodell for not punishing Tyreek Hill. I don't think we ever got to that story last week, Borky. No, just with media days and stuff going on, we never had the time. that He didn't suspend Tyreek Hill, but today Jaron Reed got six games. And he was never arrested or charged with anything. Hmm. And he got six games. So the inconsistency... Does that the commissioner knows something we don't know? Probably so, but at least on the surface. I saw some players and former players you know, put out there on social media and other places that the inconsistency is what bothers them so bad about this uh, personal conduct policy because the commissioner is the judge, jury, and the executioner. I mean, in cases in the past, you've had the investigator say that this shouldn't lead to a suspension in the Ezekiel Elliott case. The lead investigator said he should not get suspended for this, and yet he still did. Jaron Reed doesn't get arrested. He gets suspended. Tyreek Hill has a lot of audio evidence, if you want to listen to it, does not get suspended. It's really inconsistent. Yeah. Kind of hard to uh, make that make sense. Donald in Oxford in the C Spire text line, he said Tom Mars as a winner. If you missed that story over the weekend, <laughs> or I guess we had it for you on Friday. He uh, is now going to work as um, an investigator for the NCAA on their complex cases. I don't think this means, and I know a lot of people have kind of jumped to this conclusion, I don't think this means that Tom Mars is necessarily an employee of the NCAA at this point. I don't see that being a lucrative enough job to give up the career that he has. Um, especially with the firm that he's based out of in Little Rock. I mean, it's big, big time law firm. Uh, it feels like this is in addition and like a, like a retainer based thing or contract based thing. Uh, so yeah. Or maybe, maybe the NCAA stops the winner there, thing. Though. Well, I was going to say maybe the NCAA is the winner in the, uh, if you can't beat them, join them crowd. Yeah, we're kind of tired of losing cases to this guy. Why don't you come be on our team? He agrees. Birds of a feather, um, man. I mean, that that is so, with his background and, and the corruption and losing your job at Walmart for that and then joining forces with the NCAA, people just tend to gravitate towards each other that are like-minded. This is a perfect match. Yeah, I think I said on Friday, and I'll just stick with this, They it makes for interesting bedfellows, doesn't it? Pretty um, pretty interesting relationship there. It's like marrying yourself. You ever, you ever get that advice when you were in the dating process? Find somebody that you get along with but isn't you. Don't marry yourself because it gets boring. That's what they did. They're the same person. They're the same same kind of people, just matching up. Um, Michael and uh, Dan both also said that I was a winner for uh, being married for 13 uh 13 years. I agree with you on that front. Big time winner. Thanks to Jane. Uh, anything that we missed in winners and losers? Was there another one that you had? Loser for you, the Today Show. And th- this is all media in general. This kind of crap has to stop. It, so Tom Brady put on Instagram or something a video of him and his six year old daughter. They're in Costa Rica or, or some place on vacation and they jump off the top of a waterfall. And if you've ever 
jumped off of a waterfall before, you know the area below the waterfall is very deep water. The little girl was not in any danger at all. It, it was fun. I grew up doing it. A lot of people grew up doing it. You jump off of waterfalls sometimes in life, and if you get the opportunity, go do it. It's a lot of fun. So he shares this on social media, and the Today Show run a story this morning about the backlash that Tom Brady is getting for putting his daughter on harm's way, or in harm's way. The only sources that they cite for this backlash are random idiots on Twitter. What random people say on Twitter is not a news story. They even said they reached out to Tom Brady's camp uh, for comment on what idiots say on Twitter. No, he was having fun with his daughter. And just because some idiot uh, with a, a fake picture behind a computer screen calls him out for being not safe doesn't mean that he needs to comment. It doesn't mean you need to make it a news story. Like, let the guy live a little. It just And media does this crap all the time. This event happened. Twitter reacts. Chris Pratt was labeled a racist for wearing a Don't Tread on Me shirt because a few people on Twitter said that's what it was. we got to stop making what idiots say on Twitter news stories. It's a joke. You're angry. I just... Because I used to want... I used to wanted to be a reporter. I I first went to school on the sports angle, but I wanted to be on TV and write and be a journalist because I thought journalists were... Like these people that had a standard and you know did that kind of a job, a noble job, and now I realize it's just a bunch of crap filled with people that are just looking for clicks or looking to have the next viral story and embarrassing Tom Brady and running a story about how his daughter was unsafe because she jumped off of a waterfall, which is the coolest thing a six-year-old could do. It's insane. There was a... Um... It wasn't necessarily a dam. Eh, maybe it was. Like one of those man-made dams. It's like a water retention deal. And it's got the high sides, and then it's got kind of a flat concrete area, and then it really drops off. And this was probably a poor idea. This is not Tom Brady in Costa Rica, where for 100 years people have been jumping... <laughs> off the waterfall because you know there's no danger down below. But there was a time in high school where we found this place that was kind of right on the edge of town in the woods and it was not designed for diving or jumping into. It turned into a short-lived after-school activity as well. Just one more reason, though, Borky, that's probably just as well that Instagram videos didn't exist in high school. Yeah, probably so few of those things. Hey, would you bungee jump off a bridge over water? Absolutely. Sign me up. Have you ever done that? Never had the chance to bungee jump off of one, no. Have you ever bungee jump, period? I don't know if this counts, but out like an amusement park, yeah, where they have those huge like metal poles and they shoot. Oh, yeah, that yeah. counts. I that, mean, you got a big rubber band tied to your ankles. Yeah, done counts. that before. You liked it? Oh, I loved it, man. I I would love to yeah. do the whole you're on the like 700 foot bridge though and it swings you you go all the way down and it feels like you're dropping forever almost like you're skydiving I know mm-hmm. you've seen one of those videos that's something that I would love to do yeah with like the big bungee cord no I'm I'm completely with you I think it'd be fun 
Although getting to that point where you make yourself, it's like this is a perfectly good place to stand, now I think I'll jump, kind of gets you gets you going a little bit right before you take the leap. Yeah. Would you skydive? See, my wife wants to. I don't think I could. That just feels different. Like if the bungee cord snaps, it would only snap when it's fully extended, right? And that's when you're pretty close to the ground, so it's kind of survivable. But if you pull that chute... And that shoot doesn't come out, it's game over. Like, zero chance. Actually, apparently people have survived that kind of thing, but I wouldn't. I, I don't know if yeah, I'd I mean, be you, able to jump out of that plane. You can't even survive a run anymore, Borky. I know, right? <laughs> My body's just falling apart. Jim Harbaugh is catching some heat for some of his comments that have to do with transfer issues and also that have to do with mental health. Take a look at what he said and see if people have a uh, an argument, a leg to stand on with this argument, or if this is much ado about nothing. That's when we continue in the Renaissance Bank Studio with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. Money. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Um. So Jim Harbaugh, he said a bunch of stuff last week. I mentioned earlier that I don't think. There's much that comes out of Harbaugh's mouth that isn't calculated. Uh, you know, he's quirky, but he's bright. Um, pragmatic. He generally knows what he's... Pragmatic? That's what I would go with. Okay. Um, I just think ultimately he knows what he's doing. And it's interesting that Harbaugh has gone from constantly being in the media for doing weird stuff to keeping a pretty low profile. Really going, what, I guess it was going into last season we didn't hear much from him after hearing from him constantly the previous couple of years. He started losing. Had to shut his mouth. Yeah, yeah, but sometimes coaches start talking when they think they're going to be good. I mean, is this an indication with Jim Harbaugh kind of getting out there that he believes Michigan's going to really be good this year? You but, think? But he also said that he's not sure about his quarterback. How can you yeah. think your team's going to be good? Or maybe, I mean, maybe he actually really likes Dylan McCaffrey, and maybe he is setting the table for him to take the job over. And he he thinks that hey, this is the way I'm going to win because I've got this kid that's developed, and he he's a big kid too. He's like six six, two twenty five, something like that. He's a big guy, fits his system better, doesn't have. Yeah issues with his background, and maybe Harbaugh sees that and thinks, you know what, this kid's going to win the job, and now my team's going to be good. Yeah, maybe when it's all said and done, Jim Harbaugh just kind of can't help himself. Probably that as well. So this story comes out of Big Ten Media Days. After spending a year at the University of Michigan, offensive lineman James Hudson transferred to the University of Cincinnati, and in trying to obtain an immediate eligibility waiver, he cited depression as the main cause for his transfer. So he's been open with a what he describes as a mental health disorder ever since. The NCAA has not yet granted Hudson the ability to be immediately eligible, but Hudson is appealing and is hoping to play in 2019. Hudson has told Stuart Mandel from The Athletic that his eligibility waiver was denied because he couldn't document that he had depression. 
Um, Jim Harbaugh believes that if Hudson is ruled immediately eligible for citing depression as his reason for transfer, then it will open the floodgates. Speaking to ESPNU Radio at Big Ten Media Days, Harbaugh said this, The youngster that says, okay, this is a mental health issue, I'm suffering from depression, or that's a reason that they're getting eligible, and once that's known that you're getting eligible, hey, just say this or say that. And then to get eligible, the problem I see in that is that you're going to have guys that are, okay, yeah, I'm depressed. And then the host says, they're going to say what they got to say. And Harbaugh says they're going to say what they got to say. But then down the road, I don't see that helping them if it's not a legitimate thing. And nobody would know. But what are you going to say like 10 years down? Oh, I just said what I had to say, and I think you're putting them in a position that's unfair, not right. You're saying it just to say it. That's not truthful. That's not necessarily truthful. That's not something we should be promoting at the college level. Telling the truth matters. Probably the number one thing you need to do specifically to college, is you can't have experiments that aren't truthful. You can't lie about experiments. You can't lie about equations. You shouldn't be lying in football, and that's a message we should be teaching. I don't disagree that honesty is a message that should be taught more than it's taught. But a college football coach waxing poetic about the need for honesty in college football, strikes me as a little rich, first off. Second, there are people that support, you know, really support mental health. You heard the commissioner of the SEC talk about mental health issues that college athletes are dealing with. And it feels like Jim Harbaugh, at least on the surface, is kind of blowing off somebody saying, I had depression issues. you got to be real careful about going down that road. Yeah, and the family has not taken that very well. So I think what he said is true, but he shouldn't have said it at least in that way. Because, as you mentioned, when the whole transfer new thing was legislated, you said, and you were right because it happened, that people are just going to find ways to either bring down the school or manufacture a reason to get a waiver. And so, on the surface, without him having a player that requested transfer for depression, that makes sense. You, you had to find a way, even if it meant bringing down your school or making up reasons, to get your waiver. However, with how underreported and maybe even unknown some mental health issues are, uh, it's extremely delicate. And you can't, when you have a player trying to transfer for depression, insinuate that they're faking it because it's a battle that people deal with every single day and it causes them to do or, or to deal with things that well, normal people don't have to deal with. And it's going to be used against absolutely. him in recruiting heavily. So the point of guys are making up reasons to transfer that may not be true, we've seen it. You had a fake racism or um, a fake NCAA thing with Arizona and, and Texas A&M. 
you had that all drummed up until it turns out the player made racist comments on video and it all went away. You, you saw that happen. But you can't do that here with mental illness. You can't say those things about depression at yeah, all. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think Jim Harbaugh can say we've created an environment in the transfer world that is leading to dishonesty and potential dishonesty. He can say that and nobody questions it. And then if he if somebody goes, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, I mean, use your brain. What I mean is you've got to come up with a reason that your circumstances changed. So you come up with a reason that your circumstances have changed and you present that to the NCAA and then they uphold it and they let you be eligible immediately. He could have painted with a broad brush the fact that he chose mental health to go down that road and say, oh, well, maybe this, maybe you're lying. When we knew what he was talking about, that's eh, probably not the best deal. But, I mean, look here. Again, the NCAA is attempting to put the toothpaste back in the tube with regard to this transfer portal issue and immediate eligibility. The original reason, though nobody would believe this, or nobody not, not believe it, nobody would ever agree to this publicly, that they put it in place was to get Shea Patterson eligible. And I mean, you just kind of you could look at the wording and it made sense. Yeah, it's it was kind of a two plus two equals four thing. But then you have Justin Fields. But well, let's be real for a second, okay? Just let's be be very, very real. Justin Fields is eligible at Ohio State because the NCAA did not want to be labeled racist. Okay? Or insensitive to it. Yeah, absolutely. No, no. It's racist that the NCAA did not want to be labeled racist. Because if you have an African-American quarterback, which Justin Fields is, whose name came up in a racially derogatory phrase by another student athlete who was sitting in the stands at a football game, and he claims that he feels unsafe and needs to transfer, if the NCAA had not ruled him immediately eligibility, that would have been the moniker that they, as an organization, had to wear. The part that doesn't make sense, although it does make sense, Tate Martell then then transfers away. Why does he leave Ohio State? Because he knows he's about to not win the starting quarterback job because Justin Fields just transferred in. So he goes out, and then he's ruled immediately eligible at Miami. On what grounds? Well, his circumstances changed. He had a jerk for a head coach in Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer's not there anymore. There was a, you know, a guy on staff coaching wide receivers that was engaging in domestic violence. He was misled. I mean, whatever the reasons are, does he really have a valid reason to be eligible immediately at Miami? Of course not. But you just let Justin Fields in, not because there was a real reason, but because you didn't want to be labeled a racist organization. I got no 
problem with Justin Fields being immediately eligible, nor do I have any problem with Tate Martell being eligible, but now this Hudson kid that wants to go to Cincinnati can't be eligible? Or the kid who's got legitimately a sick family member who lives 102 miles away instead of 100 miles away, now he can't be eligible? Just have a little bit of consistency. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along this afternoon. We've told you that the Palmer Home for Children Radiothon is coming up on Thursday, July 25th. Well, the online auction, the auction that we've been asking you for about a month now to consider donating an item to, well, that begins the day before. It begins at 8 a.m. on July 24th. And we'll run for a week, so it will run through the final day of July. You can go to Palmer Home's website, palmerhome.org. When you go there, scroll down, click on the Radiothon link, and then if you uh, scroll on down, you can see uh, the options that you've got to make a donation online, to become a monthly donor, or you can start bidding and that is on the auction site that will go live again. It's all, The site's already live, but the actual items and the bidding will begin at 8 a.m. on Wednesday, July 24th, and it will run for a week. And there's some really cool stuff that you're going to see on there um, that uh, you'll have a chance to uh, bid on and win, and that'll be fun. Borky, looking forward to it. Coming Man, up on I'm Thursday. thrilled. This is going to be my first one. I, I've uh, So this is my fifth. Radiothon in the first four, I you know, people have to do the behind the scenes stuff here at the studio to make sure it runs. And this year, uh, uh, Will is covering my Slack, so I get to go there for the first time and actually see the facility and and be a part of it in Beautiful. that way, which is exciting. Very, very good. It's gonna be fun. Dumb criminal news. Mm-hmm. Sixty-five-year-old <laughs> Serbian man. It's not a Florida man, a 65-year-old Serbian man. Um, Fella meets a couple of flight attendants, Lufthansa flight attendants, invited them to join him for dinner. And they said, nah, we're good, thanks. But he really liked one of them. And after being unable to locate her, At her hotel, he made one last desperate attempt to keep her from leaving without going on a dinner date with him. The attempt was phoning in a bomb threat on an airplane. 130 passengers and five crew members were evacuated from flight LH-1411 last Thursday before its takeoff en route from Belgrade to Frankfurt. The plane was removed from the runway so a special police squad could search it. A spokesman for the prosecutor told Serbian media that the prosecution had asked the court to keep the man in custody pending charges of causing panic and disorder. Again, this Serbian man told the court that he had met the two flight attendants and invited them for dinner. They had refused. He especially liked one of them. And after he failed to locate her at her hotel, 
He made one less desperate attempt to keep her from leaving by phoning in a bomb threat. I mean, who says chivalry is dead? (laughs) Who hasn't called in a bomb threat to... I mean, I lied, sort of, about an ailment for my dog to get my wife to go out with me. It's basically the same thing. Yeah, what you did was creative. This is not. (laughs) You can't say bomb on an airplane. You can't even say bomb on an airplane. You can't call in and say there is a bomb on an airplane. But he needed her to stay. What else are you going to do? Not maybe wait until she comes back through. No, you you don't have that much time. you got to stop her. You ever seen that movie Liar, Liar? After this gentleman's commitment to his interest in having a dinner date with this Lufthansa flight attendant, you think she ought to give him a shot? See, that's the thing. What if it's so crazy that it works? Man, if he's willing to do that for me, think about what our everyday life is going to be. There's no question that crazy is in play here. But is it this guy's crazy in love, or he's like crazy, crazy? Like stalker crazy? Kind of sounds he's like calling the a bomb one? threat to an airplane. It's, it's probably stalker crazy, isn't it? Yeah, because in the article it mentions how he couldn't find her at her hotel, and how would you know where her hotel was? So he met two of them, asked him to dinner. They say no. He goes looking for her at her hotel. Can't find her. Last-ditch effort. You know what? I'm just going to call the airline and tell them there's a bomb on board. Oh, by the way, they traced the phone call and arrested him. See, back before all this technology, we used to be able to get away with that kind of thing. Millennials. I think he considered a payphone. you can find one those are kind of hard to find anyway sports talk mississippi in the renaissance bank studio college football fix coming your way we'll jump on the farm bureau phone line and chat with ryan brown from jocks sports talk mississippi with you monday afternoon glad to have you along let's go to the farm bureau phone line check out favorites.com and go with the home team that's mississippi farm bureau check in with ryan brown from Jocks and the Jocks Roundtable in Birmingham. He's been awake for a really long time. It's almost your bedtime, isn't it? <laughs> I think dinner just got close. in the kitchen. So we, we got to eat. I got to eat first. Daddy got to eat. There you go. I thought you grilled out all the time. I didn't know anything actually got cooked in the kitchen. Uh, not all the time. Um, I, I do enjoy it, and my family seems to like it. So, you know, maybe I should do it more often than I do, but I think tonight there's some sort of spaghetti creation going on here. There you go. This is not what I wanted to talk to you about. But <laughs> didn't you, was it like Father's Day or something where I saw you either got like either one of the outdoor pizza ovens or a griddle or something like well, that? No, what I got was I've got a, the brand is Alpha. I'll give them a shameless plug here. An Alpha pizza oven is what it's designed as, but it's a wood burning. Uh, kind of a wood-burning oven, um, but I, I had seen what you could do with the things in it just beyond pizza, and it's more practical if you do that, obviously. You're not going to do a lot of pizzas, um, but I needed a, some sort of grill apparatus because it's just a stone, like the base of it inside the oven is stone, 
So my girls for Father's Day gave me a Tuscan grill. It's got little legs on it, so you can just slide it in there. And I did some amazing wood fire steaks on it. I mean, they they were phenomenal. Really? Just some yeah, some hickory fire. So you so you light the you know the fire in the center of the oven, and then once the it begins to burn, you slide it over to the side, and it just creates this convection. And uh, oh boy, they are phenomenal, man. Uh, and I've done pork chops in there. Um, you can do all kinds of stuff in there. It's it's crazy. I'll, I'll give you a. Well, uh, there there may be more. I may be, I may have a way in the near future where you can see more things I have grilled. Let me just leave it at that. How about that? That that's fair. I will uh, wait with anticipation. <laughs> hey, have you seen though, like the um, like the reemergence of the griddle as like this gourmet yeah. cooking apparatus? All of a sudden, they're everywhere. Yeah, buddy. A buddy of mine, one of my, one of my, my the guy I played the most golf with, but one of my best friends in the world has one and swears by it. I mean, he does everything on it. He'll do um, what he calls hot beef, where he just throws out kind of, um, you know, kind of like a, um, I guess like a fajita. Um, he does mm-hmm. burgers on it, just these, that blacktop griddle, and he's got it outside. And he swears by it. I don't have one of those, but maybe I should get one. Um, because yeah. they're, they're apparently pretty, pretty versatile, too. You can do a lot of stuff with them. Well, yeah, I mean, you can go out and do bacon and eggs on the yeah. griddle in the morning and not smoke Absolutely. up the house. Absolutely. Or something. I mean, I mean, you're, you're not exactly home around for breakfast very often. No, that's true. That's um, the of the week. I do cook breakfast every Saturday for my family. That's one thing I do. Is I'm the first one up because I'm so used to getting up early. I can't sleep past about 7 or 7.30. So I'll get up and just start cooking some breakfast. This week, got up, cooked breakfast, watched the British Open while it was cooking. It was great. Not bad. Not a bad way to start the start the weekend. Ryan Brown on your radio from Jocks and the uh, Jocks Roundtable. I, I think there's been a good bit of talk since last week about some of what Nick Saban said uh, about his team losing focus because maybe he had assistant coaches that were looking at going other places. I I don't necessarily disagree with that. But in his examination of the process and the standard and all of those things, do you think it's entered his mind that he just got beat by a team that was better than his last year yeah. in the championship game? And, you know, he said that this is what's so interesting, you know, about media days. So he said what you're saying about them being a better team frequently right after the right after the game and in in whatever media obligations he had, you know, out in Santa Clara and Stafford. I was very complimentary that was Winnie and Clemson and, and, and said that. So he gets to media days and um, is asked by, well, first of all, he's on the, he, he talked about distractions during the game. And then he comes out to the SEC Network set and Paul Feinbaum asked him, well, what distractions are you talking about? And he said, well, you know, just people within the, um, people within the program not completely buying in and staying focused. And Feinbaum pressed him and said, he's talking about coaches and players. He goes, well, coaches. You know, from the, and that's when he said the line that everybody's kind of focused on. From the LSU game on, you had a lot of coaches that were looking to get other jobs or get a head coach's jobs, and maybe they didn't focus quite as much as they should have. And when you play that out of the context of what Paul was asking him, it makes it sound like he's offering that excuse. When in fact he was simply clarifying for Paul, you know, kind of what he was talking about. So, I, you know, a lot of people jump on Saban, but always making excuses, making excuses. I, I don't really see it that way because I can remember back in January where he 
by the best of my memory, seemed to give Clemson the ultimate amount of praise that he could after that game. Yeah. What coaches do you think he was talking about? Was it was it Mike Loxley and Dan Enos? Was it Pete Golding who was you know being courted by Ole Miss and maybe somebody else as well? Uh, or um, just kind of all of the above. The fact that Golding got the defensive coordinator's job indicates to me that he wasn't too upset with him. You know, I know he was being right. courted by Ole Miss, obviously, and I thought I thought he, I thought for a minute he was going to take the Ole Miss job, but um, yeah, that was a very real thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that was really close. And I think the thing that kept it from maybe happening is his thought that he could actually have the Alabama job because I think it was pretty clear that LaPoy was not going to stick around. So, um, you know, I don't know that it would be Goulding. Loxley, um, you know, it, it really didn't show up for him. Alabama's offense continued to play pretty well. They struggled against State, obviously, but that was the number one defense in the country. But you look at what they did in the Iron Bowl, they were dominant there. Um their struggles in the Georgia game weren't really on Loxley because um, of the chunk of a little injury. And then in the Orange Bowl, the offense was terrific. So, um, you know, he was not very good in the national championship game, Loxley, especially in the red zone. So maybe then, you know, when the Maryland stuff was already happening um, and he already knew he had the Maryland job, maybe that was it. But, you know, it's interesting. If anybody should be good at this, it should be Saban. He's gone through it so many times, being actually yeah. in the college playoffs or in the BCS. And having a coach that's leaving for our coordinator that's leaving for another job. He's done it several times, going all the way back to Jim McElwain. Yeah, Ryan, we, we spend so much time focused on the SEC that any time this conversation of, you know, who besides Alabama and Clemson can compete for a national championship, we almost immediately gravitate, okay, well, who else from the SEC can do it? And obviously Georgia's name comes up. Borky and I were talking earlier today, and he says that he thinks LSU's roster is talented enough, but they haven't been able to get over that Alabama hump. I mean, it's eight in a row that they've lost. Uh, are, are you buying into this year's version of Ed Ogeron and LSU and Joe Burrow and uh, what uh, Brady, the guy they brought in from the Saints to be the passing game coordinator, and Steve Insminger, and just kind of the whole deal? Yeah, not really. No, uh, I'm not buying it. Being that much different. I'm not. I mean, we hear it every off season that this uh, this is the year they're going to open up the offense. It was funny Borky brings that up because we discussed that on our show today. Dunaway um, asked me, Jim Dunaway, one of my co-hosts, asked, um, you know, what other you, you take Alabama, Clemson, and Georgia off the board? Give me because those are the biggest favorites to win the national championship. Give me the next team that you would say, okay, I like their ability to win the national championship. And Jim said LSU. I disagree with him. Jim just said the only reason I say LSU, I think they're good enough to keep themselves. They're good enough to win it. I don't know that LSU would beat Clemson. I, I wouldn't like them to beat Clemson. I just, you know, if you're asking me, Joe Burrow, in a college football playoff game against Clemson, give me Clemson, man. I'm not a big Joe Burrow believer. And we hear this every single year with LSU's offense, that this is the year that we're going to open it and they're going to score more points. And they don't. And I've never been, look, Steve Ensminger's a nice guy and he's a good football coach, but there are no new ideas with him. He's been doing the same thing for 20 years. So if Joe Brady can come in and change it and convince Ed Orgeron that this is the way to go, maybe things change. But just put me in the column of yeah. I believe it when I see it, especially against Alabama. They so, can't score against Alabama. So what is the answer to that question for you, team not named Bama, Clemson, or Georgia? Well, I Next in line. I said Oklahoma, okay. and that that doesn't mean I think Oklahoma is the next best team in the country. That may be 
Michigan or Ohio State, but the angle I came from is I can't guarantee one of those two will be in it. I can't guarantee Oklahoma will, but I feel better picking Oklahoma to be in it and then making it than picking either Ohio State or Michigan. Does that make sense? You may, On this, make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely it does. I mean, the, the, the path to get there is half the battle. You know, if you can yeah. get there, I mean, yeah. you got a shot. So I guess I looked, hey, at it just, from, just, I looked at it from the perspective of who do I think can actually make it. Well, then they have a chance of winning it. And that'd be Oklahoma, though they... Last year seemed kind of far away from winning it, frankly. Yeah. Quick thought on Jim Harbaugh. Right message, wrong delivery when he brings mental health into the conversation about the transfer portal being broken? Yeah, I mean, I think I think his heart was in the right place. He just stumbled through it. You could tell he was trying not to say the wrong thing and in the process probably said the things the wrong way. Um, I think what he was trying to say was, look, mental health is a real issue. And I wish you'd have said it that way, obviously. It's a real issue, but it's not helped by guys that come in and say, hey, just say you've got a mental health issue and you'll get a waiver from the NCAA. That's not helping anybody. And he's right about that, Jim Harbaugh is. But he just didn't, maybe didn't deliver it in the best way. He's kind of awkward anyway, and he delivered that real awkwardly. So I just think it kind of came out wrong. Ryan, always appreciate the time. Good visiting with you. We'll talk soon. All right, boys. You'll be good. That's Ryan Brown from Jocks in Birmingham. More coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Good conversation with Ryan Brown from Jocks Roundtable, WJOX. They are on 6 to 10 in the mornings in Birmingham. Jim Dunaway and uh, Lance Taylor and, of course, Ryan Brown. Always enjoy our chats with him on the Farm Bureau phone line. Go to the website, favorites.com. You go there and you can uh, type in your zip code, and then it will give you the option of getting a quote on auto insurance or a quote on home insurance, or you can bundle those coverages and save. And the really cool thing, I've told you this a number of times, but this is kind of the difference for me in dealing with Farm Bureau in being a member of Farm Bureau, you're dealing with, I would say, if not nine times out of, t- out of ten, maybe 99 times out of 100, somebody that you already know and somebody that you trust. I mean, it's a, an organization already that you trust, but then when it's a specific person that you know and trust, uh, that you bump into at the ball fields or at breakfast or at church or at the grocery store, and they're just like you. So you're dealing with agents that you know, agents that you trust, a company that puts Mississippi first. That's why we tell you to go with the home team. Check them out online, favrates.com. That's Mississippi Farm Bureau. LSU has got new football locker rooms, and Borky, in a world of college football arms race when it comes to facilities, it was originally stadiums and seating capacity. And then it became video boards. And then it became indoor practice facilities slash football-only buildings. And then it became tricking those buildings out. And then we got into the locker room craze. And most everybody's redone their locker room somewhere along the way. And the first couple of times you see one of these upgrades, you're like, oh, my goodness, that's crazy. What are they going to think of next? And then you see another one and another one and another one, and they become less, oh, goodness, what are they going to think of next, and more, 
oh, it's just another fancy locker room. And so in a landscape filled with locker room upgrades that have iPad docks and cushions and barbershops and sound systems, whatever, it's kind of hard to stand out. LSU's standing out, though, in the latest locker room craze edition, a reported $25 million went into the new locker room upgrade for LSU. They contracted with an architecture firm, and they used the concept of an international flight first-class seat-slash-cabin. Yeah, you, you get kind of the, the pods where your seat can turn into a bed and you can have a TV mounted on the side. And I've never flown like that. I'd love to one day. I never have. But you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I've never flown on one, but I've, I've seen pictures. You've seen the pictures. So they took that concept and they turned it into a locker room design. All of the... So, so it's not your traditional locker where you, you walk up to it and the lockers are against a wall and it's got a solid back to it and then the cabinet space above it and some sort of a seat down below and you can kind of lift up what you sit on and put your private stuff in there and you got a padlock up above where you can put your wallet and your jewelry, whatever else you've got. And then, you know, your football helmet and your cleats and stuff just all sit in your locker. This doesn't, I, I don't even know how to describe what this looks like. I mean, it's like if, if the Starship Enterprise had a locker room on it or in it, I think this was probably what the locker room would look like. So you've got kind of low slung padded chairs with locker area storage space kind of on the sides. And there are a couple of cubbies above, but there's no back to the locker. Like, these chairs butt up against each other back to back. But then the seats have a, a drawer underneath them that when you pull out, it has more padding that pops up, and it turns it into a bed or a napping table or however you want to describe it. It's, it's almost like a sleep pod without the full cover over the top. It's almost like a futon. It's like a yeah. fancy-looking futon. But instead of a futon that, like, like if a bed is six feet wide and only three feet deep, and then you pull the futon out and it kind of flattens out into a bed, it's more like this thing is like the width of a chair, and then you pull it out from the front like you were almost going to recline a chair, and it turns into a bed. Now, these guys are not going to be living there. This is not where they're going to sleep on a regular basis, but the idea is if you want to take a nap in the middle of the day between classes, if you want to catch a nap between practice, if you want to, I don't know, take a nap after practice and before film session or whatever, then you can do that. It's cool looking. I just, is it practical at all? Well, sleeping in the locker room, I, I mean, everybody wants to do that. and so So that concept is pretty cool. Because, I mean, I didn't play college football. I played high school football. I slept in the locker room almost every day. Either Like, if I had a... We had one period where... We called them periods. I don't know what they were called here. But we had seven periods during the day, during school. And there was always one that was like a study hall or, or some kind of throwaway. And we would just go sleep in the locker room. 
during that time. Mm-hmm. So I imagine it's very similar for college players too. They have you know forty five minute break between classes or workouts or film sessions. They just go take a nap. That that concept is pretty sweet. But I didn't look or think about it from this perspective until Darren Rovell tweeted this out. So you said it was a $25 million locker room, right? Yeah. Over a 15-year span, this is according to Darren Rovell, it's about $23,000 per year per player over a 15-year lifespan. That's about how long it'll last. What do you think the players would rather have? $23K a year or a locker that they can sleep in? <laughs> yeah, yes, it's a it's a fair point. Give me metal lockers, wood benches, and twenty three grand. Yeah, absolutely. But in, in so, fairness, so, they so can't we had do the whole it. sleeping in the locker room thing. But that was on you know usually on game day. So school would end. So it'd be like there's a pep rally during seventh period, and then school ends. And then we would go as a team eat in the cafeteria. And then would come back and you would have, so what is it, 3.45, maybe 4 o'clock when you get back to the locker room. If it's a home game, you don't play until 7. And so you really didn't start, you know, getting dressed for, you know, putting your uniform on and start going out to get loose and go through pregame stuff until about 5.30. So you had a couple of hours, maybe an hour and 45 minutes between when pregame meal ended and you kind of started game stuff. Obviously, it was different for a road game, but they were like, okay, that's quiet time. They turned the lights off. Maybe they put on a movie. Maybe some guys would watch film. But mostly, all the tackling dummies from the week that you had had in practice got strewn around the weight room and the locker room, and people would like lie on those to take a nap. So I guess this is a better way of doing that. It's just the college game day is different than that, and I don't obviously college football is different than high school football. Yeah, a little bit but, more uh, regimented. I mean, it's pretty nice. It's pretty sweet, and I've seen people. It, uh, you you said I was angry earlier. Well, here's another one. I call I think it's passion more than anger, but I've seen people pull the well. Ha- look at these pictures of the library on LSU's campus and the football players have this in their locker room but the library's got paint chipping off of the walls and these people like fail to realize that that money's not coming from the same place it's not like LSU is pulling money away from academics and then building the locker room every dime that went to pay for that locker room was not taken from academics it's a completely separate thing and yet you have these people that pretend like it's money that's not going to academics. That couldn't be further from the truth. And also, the revenue that the football team generates for LSU, academics included, far exceeds whatever you're reading in the library. That's just the cold, hard truth about it. All their players were excited about it. And and this may be the money quote. Cody Worsham, why would I need to leave? I got everything I need right here. And I think that's part of what goes on, and it's what Clemson did when they put a slide in and they got a putt-putt course and whatever else, a water park. I just made that part up. But the idea that instead of going other places, your players are just going to come to the football facility. They're under your roof. You know where they are. You got an idea of what they're doing most of the time, and so you're eliminating distractions. 
I mean, far be that be it for there to be distractions when you're in college. Sports Talk Mississippi in the A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.